Well, morning, Happy New Year to you. hope that 2024 is uh, an amazing year, whatever that means uh, for you. And if you've been around Riverside uh, for the last couple of months before the uh, for Christmas break, um, we've mentioned a few times the phrase, changing the conversation. Uh, it's a phrase that comes from a book uh, that I'd been reading and a number of others have been kind of dipping into as well. It's a book, uh, just a management book around uh, restaurant industry. Uh, fascinating. It's a really interesting book, actually. It's called Unreasonable Hospitality. But two guys in America set up a restaurant um, and they did quite well. They won a few awards, so much so that they were then invited to this big do in New York that was the kind of World Restaurant of the Year Awards. And they were hopeful. Uh, and they got to the table, as it were. They were excited about these World Restaurant of the Year awards. And the announcement was made for who was last, and it was their restaurant. And so they got these conflicting emotions of how they'd been invited to the awards, the World Restaurant of the Year, and yet they were bottom of the awards. What do you do with that mixture of emotions? And there's this phrase that really resonated with me that leapt off the page, and it was this. Our restaurant was excellent and made a lot of people happy, but it hadn't yet changed the conversation. I loved that phrase, and it really resonated with me as we think about this year for us as Riverside. Now, not out of competition, as though that restaurant was wanting to change the conversation compared to all the other restaurants in the room. That's not what we're talking about. But I want to suggest that there are maybe three different ways that we're going to be looking over these next three weeks in which the conversation might need to change. The first is we want to be involved and play our part in changing the conversation outside the church. We live in a society in which lots of people have their own opinions of the church. Many people have zero opinions of the church because it is completely irrelevant in their lives. Whether the church is seen as being irrelevant, outdated, for some people even dangerous, for some people just quaint. We want to be involved in changing the conversation outside the church this year. It's really interesting in the last couple of months before uh, Christmas, there was a lady who came, to, uh, she came in the service in the break just between these two services. And she came... Because someone who's not part of Riverside told her, and I quote, go to Riverside, they will help you. Isn't that great? That's the kind of conversation that we want to hear more of. We want to change the conversation outside the walls of the church. The second conversation that we need to change is changing the conversation inside the church. This last period of time, all across the planet, have been challenging for all of us in many ways. But also within the church, there are big questions around what does the future look like? Where do we go? What does church look like in the 21st century? There are both huge challenges and big opportunities. And we want to be involved in changing that conversation here within Riverside. Because we as leaders sense that 2024 actually could be a really significant year for us as a church, not just because it's our 40th anniversary, but there are some beautiful, brilliant things happening, and where may we dream and step forward into what God's got in store for us. So changing the conversation outside the church, changing the conversation inside the church. But the third conversation, which we're going to focus on today, is it really kind of leapt home to me, if there is such a phrase, 
that we need to change the conversations about ourselves personally. And so that's the three-part series we're going to be doing. Changing the conversation outside the church, inside the church, and today, changing the conversation about how we see ourselves. And if you like, these are some observations that I just pick up from conversations both within Riverside, but friends all over, about this moment we find ourselves in in history and conversations that keep on repeating themselves in the way that people see themselves. And if I was to summarize this morning in one phrase, it is this. Friends, during 2024, let's be gentle with ourselves and with other people. This quote from Anne Helen Peterson. In discussing burnout, you'll know that burnout is something that we hear a lot about. People feeling kind of at the end and they're not quite sure if they can cope. And the brilliant quote says this. The primary exacerbator of burnout isn't really email or Instagram or a constant stream of news alerts. It's the continuous failure to reach the impossible expectations that we've set for ourselves. And I would add, and for others. I can't help feeling that we live in a world of two groups of people. Those of us who have a tendency to criticize ourselves quickly. The weight of burden that we're always messing up. If only we were better. If only we could do more. If only we would improve. Things would be okay. Self expectations. And then there's another group over here who, if you like, they have a tendency, their immediate default is to criticize others. If they could sort themselves out, if they could fix stuff, if they could up their game a bit, then things would be better. And there's a book that I've been reading, uh, and as I'd really encourage you to grab hold of if you're into reading. There's a book by a guy called David Zahl, Z-A-H-L, called Low Anthropology. Don't be put off by the title. It's a bit of a a poor title, in my opinion. It is a brilliant book. Low Anthropology, all about how we see ourselves. Because anywhere you look on social media, blame, criticism, condemnation, tribes, them, us. Everywhere you look in politics, blame, criticism, tribes, them, us. Everywhere you look in people's fracturing relationships, blame, criticism, them, us. Whatever it is, we live in a world and a society in which so many of us are feeling crushed by the expectations either we put on ourselves or we feel others put on us. So which of those groups are you in? What's your default position? When something doesn't quite go according to plan, are you, is your natural default to criticize self, to be weighed down, or is it to critique others? Now, I know that there will always be different situations where we might kind of merge between the two, and it might also be that some of us, we know we critique others because of the weight that we carry ourselves, and so we want others to kind of be up with where we're at because we want us to be better, whatever that might mean. So which are you, though? Your default natural response. The first group is those over here. Not, I'm not saying you guys. Those over here, you lot. No, this group. 
whose default position is to blame ourselves. Always carrying around this feeling of not being good enough. Never being enough. You always see the ways that you just wish weren't like it. And whether that's because we've been told it, either explicitly or not, or whether it's just that feeling we get from the world we're in and the media we consume that we never quite match up to what we should be. Must work harder, should be more successful, should achieve more, should have gr achieved greater significance, whatever that might be. I'd love to share a little video story. You'll know if you've been around Riverside over the last few months, we've been encouraging people to tell their stories by simply recording their own video on their phone, sending it through to us. We're going to continue to do that as we go forwards over the coming months. And we're going to see a little story now from Leah. And this is simply her story of how God changed her view of herself. And if you listen carefully, notice how she, changed, how she sees her expectations of herself and then how they changed when she began to understand who God really is. Let's watch Leah's story. Hi, my name's Leah. Um, I've been part of Riverside since I was a student. Um, my family were first invited to church when I was about six years old. So much of it just made sense to me. I just loved hearing the stories of Jesus and how he transformed people's lives. And um, I saw that in my own life. The one particular area that I was really struggling was with the idea of God the Father. My own dad um, was lost in addiction due to his childhood trauma and this meant that I grew up in quite an abusive household. Um, I lived in fear and um, felt that I always needed to strive um, to gain his love and that I was never quite good enough and this meant that I thought I wasn't worthy of God's love. But with the guidance and support of my church family and a greater understanding of the Bible, I came to see that my Heavenly Father was someone who loved me unconditionally. I didn't need to earn his approval, but that he loved me so much that he sent his one and only son to die for me, to rise again, so that I could be in relationship with him forever. God helped heal my wounds and come to a place of forgiveness. I've known his true love, and because of that, I want others to know that love too. Are you that group? They're always quick to carry the weight yourself. God has something to say to you today. There's the other group, though, that always their default position is to critique others first. They look quite different, but I wonder if it's actually the same route as we'll see. Uh, before we moved to Birmingham yeah, 10 years ago now, uh, we lived in London and we were involved in a church there and we were running a course called Alpha. We run Alpha here. Alpha is a brilliant course which helps people to ask, explore the big questions of life in a really relaxed, fun environment. And we're, we're doing another course starting on Thursday, the 25th of January. And so if that's something that particularly is interesting to you, you've got big questions about Christianity or life or God, is there a God? Come along to Alpha. We'll hear more how to book onto that a little bit later on, but it is brilliant. Well, we were running Alpha in the church back in London. 
And where we were in London was a place called Surbiton. Uh, put your hands up if you know where Surbiton is. Yeah. Surbiton is one of those places that is really lovely. It's a really lovely place with lovely houses and lovely people in their lovely jobs with their lovely cars. And we were doing Alpha, and there was a lady on, and she was lovely, and she thought that Jesus was lovely. But what was noticeable is when we began to discuss what Jesus had done for us, and that God's love and kindness was undeserved, was an act of grace. She couldn't deal with it because her worldview was, I can earn acceptance. And because she lived in a lovely place with a lovely car and a lovely house and a lovely world and a lovely job and a lovely family and lovely whatever else, lovely shoes, all that, she, because she'd done well in life, there was a sense of, I'm okay, and so therefore everything else must be other people's fault. There was a self-justification, and she could not get her head around grace. Gift given rather than earned. So which group are you? Don't put your hand up, but self or others? And I know it varies from time to time. But the Bible has a lot to say into this, something very specific. And for these three weeks, we're going to focus on one chapter from the book of Romans, Romans chapter 12. Uh, and whether or not you call yourself a Christian, whether or not you think the Bible is relevant, thousands and millions and hundreds of millions of people throughout the world have found the wisdom in Bible helpful. And so I'd encourage you, even if you think you've got massive questions around whether the Bible is relevant, listen in because you might find it more helpful than you realize. Romans chapter 12 comes after Romans chapter 1 to 11, surprisingly. But Romans chapter 1 to 11 is this big, long discussion from a guy called Paul who's describing all that God has done. And it's a lot of good theology, big words, amazing things. And chapter 12 begins with, and so therefore, in light of all that has happened, all that God has done, this is what it now means for us. Here it is, verses 1 and 2. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all that he's done for you. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. This is the New Living Translation, by the way, if you're interested. Do you notice how it begins? Because of all that God has done in chapters 1 to 11... And so, do this. What is it we, we've got to do? Give our bodies to God. Now, that word bodies doesn't just mean physical flesh. There's a different word he could have used if he just meant physical bodies. It means the totality of who you are. All of you. Mind, body, soul, spirit, affections, all that stuff. Give all of you. To God, as it were. So how do we do that? What does he say? Don't copy the ways, the behaviors of customs of the world, but rather let God transform you by changing the way you think. One of the conversations we need to change is with ourselves in our own heads about how we think about ourselves. In light of all that God has done, his grace and mercy change the way we think. So what is the big change we need? What is it? Don't think 
that you're better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us. Now, think back to those two groups, those quick to criticize ourselves, those quick to criticize others. I can't help thinking it's rooted in the same problem that is thinking too highly of people. One group thinks the others should be better because people should be better, because I am. The others group think that they should be better, like those people. It's both about how we see ourselves and other people. Author Anne Lamott summarizes this really well. And friends, as we read this, just to encourage you, don't look around the room, but if you think around who in the room you think has got it all together, or maybe not in the room, people that you know in the life of Riverside, you think they've got it all together. And then listen to these words. I love this quote. Everyone, 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 everyone is screwed up, broken, clingy, and scared. Even the people who seem to have it more or less together, they are much more like you than you would believe. That person that you might be thinking of right now, that you think their life is all together, they've got it all together, they're much more like you than you realize. With the same thoughts, the same dreams, the same ambitions, same fears, same temptations, the same battles. Because Paul is saying, don't have too high a view of yourself or even of others. Because this culture in which we have a high expectation is crushing us. Maybe we've got high expectation about our houses. House should be tidier, bigger, nicer, cleaner, whatever it is. So that if anyone comes around, we make sure they close that door. <laughs> or our expectations of work. I should be better like them. How good are we at our jobs? How would we find that? Or our expectations about our physical shelf. Physical shelf. Physical self. Should be fitter, thinner, healthier, stronger, whatever it might look like. Or our expectations about our friendships. I wish I was funnier, more available, replied to WhatsApp sooner, whatever it might be. Our expectations about our partner. I should be better, they should be better, do more, be more reliable, be a better communicator, whatever it is. Our expectations about being a parent, I should be a better role model, a better dad, a better mum. Our expectations, even in our walk with God, I should pray more, should do more, should read my Bible more. More, 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 better, better, better. All about expectations that slowly crush us that are rooted in thinking of ourselves highly. G.K. Chesterton beautifully said, angels can fly because they take themselves lightly. Beautiful. So how do we do this, though? Sounds good, but how? What does this look like? Well, did you notice something in verse 3 of chapter 12? What does Paul say? Don't think you're better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves against other people. 
No. Measuring yourselves by the faith compared to other people. No. Measuring yourselves by the faith that God has given you. No. By faith that God has given us. Too often we think this is some sort of competition. Measure ourselves compared to that person over there who they've got it way better than I have. But maybe their faith's not quite as high as mine, so I'm kind of in the middle. No. This is not a stick to beat ourselves. This is freeing. He has given the faith. And do you notice something in verses 1 and 2? We dwelled on it earlier. It begins with, and so, in light of all that God has done in chapters 1 to 11, give your bodies to God because of all that he's done for you. The focus here is not us in competition with other people or we should be better. It's in the light of all that God has done and given to us. The faith that is given to us is the good news of Jesus. That's how we measure ourselves. It's not a competition. It's Jesus has died for us. That's the faith God gives us. Measure yourself against that. Which means we have a higher expectation of ourselves and a lower expectation of ourselves. We need God's mercy. So we're not like my friend in London who doesn't think they need it. But we get God's mercy, so we're not like our friends over here who all constantly weighed down and think we don't deserve it. None of us do. But the challenge is, for those of us who both think too low of ourselves or too high of ourselves, we need somebody else to tell us, not ourselves. Did you know, in recent years, a number of psychology research projects have been revealing something really interesting about our kind of self-esteem culture. In which the kind of current message of the day is trying to encourage each other about how great we are. Now, encouraging words can put real courage. That's what it means, put courage into people. But what's interesting is, there was a recent pro- pro- uh, project done in 2009 that for those people where they were encouraged to self-boost, what that means is to talk to yourself, you know, to encourage yourself. Come on, you can do this. Tim, you're great. Yeah, run a mile, whatever it is. It was actually really unhelpful for those people who needed it most. Because what happens is you get the impression that I should be doing this. And what happens when we can't? It just becomes another weight to crush us down. And then when other people encourage us, you're great. What happens when you know deep down you're not? You're struggling with this. They don't know about it. It's just another thing to crush that you have to hide. Think back to Leah's video. It's when she began to understand who God is and how he sees her that it changed how she viewed herself. So friends, because of Jesus... We can, in 2024, be gentle with ourselves and with other people. Maybe we should set that as a resolution this year. Because Jesus died for you, it shows you that you are loved beyond your wildest dreams. And if you're somebody that thinks, of course I'm loved beyond my wildest dreams, you also realize you've got the God of eternity who stepped in because you needed that grace and mercy. So, five things as I come to a close. Five ways of why this is good for us in 2024. Firstly, it is good for our own emotional well-being. 
We don't need to be comparing ourselves with other people anymore. Looking around the room and thinking, I wish I had them, wish I was like that, whatever it might be. We can be free from the tyranny of expectations that constantly we burden ourselves or burden others with. And I want to say, my observation is just again with conversations with people. I think men and women sometimes deal with this differently or different stages of life deal with this differently. Some of us, we know we're constant crushed by the constant juggling that we feel we have to do. The relationships, the responsibilities, the finances, the job. This constant juggling of trying to be better is just crushing us. This frees us because we're loved by the God of the universe. But some of us, we're not crushed by the constant juggling. We're crushed by the constant criticism that we hear in our minds. And that we somehow leads us to despair that we are uniquely poor. Friends, you're not. You're human. (laughs) Be gentle with yourself. So it's good for our emotional well-being, this. Secondly, it's good for our relationships in general, all relationships. Because we expect relationships to be tricky. If I'm screwed up, messed up, clingy and scared, like Anne Lamott said, chances are the person that I'm in a relationship with is also screwed up, messed up, clingy and scared, which therefore put those two together is going to be tricky sometimes. We should expect it and not be surprised when it happens in all relationships, including within the church. And I want to suggest, I, I, I wonder sometimes if that's the point of church. You hear lots of people at time to time say, um, you know, I don't fit in here. There's no one like me. That's the point of church. <laughs> because we get to model what it looks like to be a bunch of people that are clingy, broken, screwed up and scared in relationship with each other, with all the messiness of grace and forgiveness, trying to work what that looks out. If we're forever thinking, well, therefore, that person's upset me, I'm going down the road. We miss out on the gift of learning the grace and forgiveness of God as we experience that in relationship with another person just like us. As the reading says, we're members of one body. And often we think about that in terms of what we do. You know, you do that bit, I do that bit. It's also about who you are. We need each other. If you feel rubbish about yourself, and therefore you think, I don't, I don't really want to come, that's why we need you. Because you're just really encouraging for other people. <laughs> now, just as a little aside, not about church, about generally in our relationships. I heard a great quote recently that was this. Advice that is not asked for is often criticism that is not necessary. Advice that is not asked for is often criticism that is not necessary. I like that. It says, thirdly, it's also good for our most personal and intimate relationships. So not just general relationships, our most personal relationships. As David Zahl says, many of us are drowning in a sea of expectations. Should be a better husband, should be a better wife, better parent, whatever it is. Better friend, better daughter. But this frees us to expect failure, not perfection. Two broken people in close proximity for two years will cause some brokenness. And again, can I humbly and gently say, I think the Bible hints at one of the beauties of marriage is that because we get close up to learn what it looks like to forgive, to experience grace with all our flaws and their flaws. 
Now hear me, I'm not talking about some relationship that are particularly abusive or really toxic, but just the general kind of sea of expectations that weigh us down. This frees us. The fourth thing is this. It's good for our world, not just within the church, but it's good for our world. Where do the people in your workplace, the people in your street, your friends, go with their brokenness, with their stuff that they can't tell their mates? Where do they go? We get an opportunity to, with wide open arms, show that we're not that impressive, which therefore is freeing for other people because they realize they're not that impressive. One of the beauties of church, I think, is is being not impressive for the world is a safe place for people. If you think you're not good enough, that your friends won't see something of Jesus in you, maybe that's the point. And then the final thing as we come to a close is this. Yes, it's good for your emotional well-being. Yes, it's good for your relationships, including those most personal. Yes, it's great for the world to see. But also, when we catch a glimpse of how God sees us, it's good for knowing his will for your life. Did you notice a little phrase? Let me read it to you again. It's when we have the right view of ourselves, Paul says, then you will learn to know God's will for you. It's when we have the right view of how he sees us, loved beyond our wildest dreams, regardless of circumstances, then you begin to see what God's will may be. Isn't that good news? May 2024 be a year in which we're gentle with ourselves and gentle with others, because in that, Jesus shines brightly.